0: morning. Merry Christmas to you. I said that to a lady this week and she looked at me like uh, I had hair. (laughs) But you never know. If you need a copy of God's Word, slip your hand up and these gentlemen will be glad to give you one. So for those of you that haven't got my presence yet, you can see I've got a few of them under the tree. They're very light, like there's nothing in there. I don't understand. But I'll have a a list of my preferences and uh, sizes out in the lobby if you'd like that. A couple of things I do want to mention to you. Uh, Number one, if you're a University of Memphis fan, this is a pretty cool weekend for you. Bittersweet somewhat, but uh, they called me and asked me if I knew how to coach football, and I said no. Uh, I really don't. Uh, you have to find somebody else to, to do that. So, uh, But uh, what a great weekend. All right. A couple of things I do want to mention to you. Make sure I hit them now. Uh, tomorrow night across the street in our youth building, Hannah Building across the street, we're going to have a ladies' ornament, women's ornament exchange. What time is that? Uh, Tiffany will now come up and share with us. No, she won't? Okay. Six o'clock tomorrow night across the street. And all you got to do for admittance is be female. That's discriminatory, isn't it? I'm, I'm going to start a movement. Uh, show up with an ornament, and you can exchange those and have a good time. Some, spend some time with ladies' church. Tomorrow night, six o'clock across the street. Um, continue the Life Choices bottles right there next to my palatial office by the, by the door. You can take one of those bottles and fill it up with change for for Life Choices. against one of our missions that we support, and uh, you bring it back, and there's a place to put it in my office, and we will get it to them. We've also got meals in the lobby today. If you want to pick up a meal on your way out and give to someone, those are in the lobby today also. Uh, if you still want to be part of what we're doing for Galloway for Christmas, you can see Debbie Brusseau we'll Be out in the lobby afterwards. You can see Debbie and just say, look, I'd like to Maybe part of the store. I think they've given away all the angel tree stuff, but you may be able to help in another way. So if you'd like to do that, you can see Debbie in the lobby afterwards. And then if you'll put a note, make a note, put it on your calendar, on your phone, wherever you put it. Uh, Christmas Eve, we will be here at 5 o'clock doing our annual Christmas Eve uh, communion, candlelight service together. I always enjoy being part of that. So that's uh, Christmas Eve. I'll tell you a funny story. It has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today it's just funny. I don't know what it is about me, but I tend to, to funny things happen to me. So Thursday night, I was, we had an elders meeting at 6.30, and I was in Bartlett. I uh, got there early. it's about 6 o'clock, and, and so I decided I'd go by the library. Yes, I go to the library, and uh, I go in there. It look like Germantown Library and the Bartlett Library. They sell used books for like 50 cents, so I go in there and, and buy books and read them and then donate them back. And so there's a lady that goes to our Bartlett campus that works in the Bartlett library. And a lot of times she's in there, I just go in, talk to her for a little while, see if they got anything I want. So I went up to the counter and I found a book that I wanted I go up to the counter. and Her name is Susan. So I'm walking up the counter. Susan's there working. There's another lady right here, total stranger. Don't know her, never met her. I'm talking to Susan. Susan, how are you? How's your arthritis? And and are you doing okay? Just talking, just like I am now. This lady's staring at me. I get that a lot from women, I understand, but maybe not. So she's staring at me, and I'm thinking, like, I probably got something on my face, what is it? And finally she says, you have the most incredible voice. And I said, well, thank you. <laughs> this is exactly what she said. She said, you have the most incredible voice. Do you sing? And I said, no, I do not. No, I do not. I said, that, that's the exact opposite of what I would do in that setting. You do not want to hear me sing. But it was, I did. I couldn't help myself. She said, you have the most incredible voice. And I said, well, thank you. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I know you find it hard to believe that I did that, but uh, I did. All right. Take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Kind of catch you up where we were last week and then proceed forward. What we're doing over the, in the month of December, I'm going to look at. If you'll take the top of your handout and look at it, we're going to be looking at, as we focus on Christmas and the coming of the Christ child and God with us, and the, the incredible prophetic historical significance of what we celebrate at the advent of the Christ child that God came to be with us as a man. The Emmanuel, God with us, even this morning. And, and I love not only to sing Christmas carols and, and hear them sung, but to listen to the depth of the theology that you will hear, especially some of the, the secondary verses, the ones that everybody, you don't hear that's been memorized. Like we're doing Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. And even this morning, we're singing Hail the Incarnate Deity, God in Flesh, that's incarnate Latin, is in the flesh. God, incarnate deity, and that the significance of that moment that God, aorist, tenth Greek, you see that in the language, and in the beginning was the Word, that was prior to the word before there was anything. Beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and in John's prologue to his gospel, the tense of that verb was before there was time, there was the Word. And then the Word became verse 14 in that prologue, you drop down, it says, the Word, the incarnate, eternal, excuse me, not incarnate, the eternal self-existent deity that existed before there was time, that word became flesh. The word, the verb became is aorist tense, which means at a definite moment in time, that eternal God stepped into space and time and became one of us. That's the message of scripture. That's the message of history. That's the message of what we have the gospel the great mess- good news that we have to share with our world, our generations, is that for God so loved the world that he gave. That's what Christmas is about, is that at Christmas, God came to bring to a final conclusion what the Lamb was going to do. The eternal plan of God to redeem a fallen race of humans because of our sin nature God said, you owe a debt you cannot pay. Someone has to pay the sin debt. I, God, will take your place, we're going to look at today, and I will pay your debt for you. And by appropriating my substitutionary sacrifice, you could be redeemed. All of that's tied in together. So we started in Genesis 3.15 with God promising the seed was going to come, the seed of the woman would come, and crush Satan's head. When Jesus rose from the dead, after his death, his burial, his resurrection, that is the gospel, when he rose from the dead, he conquered sin and death. And Satan was crushed. He's a defeated enemy. Now, he's still allowed now, but ultimately he will be forever defeated. He is defeated and will be forever punished. So today, what we looked at last week is that it begins there in the Garden of Eden with original sin. God said, this is what I'm going to do. And then, as you study Scripture and as you study history, you see how God was laying it out, saying this and picturing it for us through the nation of Israel. He was bringing this lamb, this Messiah. I was joking with some of our students in the lobby this morning. They're standing there looking at a nativity scene. So I asked him a really hard question: In the nativity scene, which one is Jesus? I see, you're all laughing because you're all thinking Jesus is which one? So you're afraid to say it now because you're all thinking, well, stupid. He's the baby in the manger. Uh, yes, that's Jesus. But see, you also have, see to the bottom left-hand corner, what is that? It's a little lamb. So I took the little lamb and put Jesus on the little lamb and said, the lamb is Jesus. Now, obviously... I'm not, we're not being pantheistic in that God is a chair, God. That Jesus, the baby in the manger, was the Passover lamb. He was the one that God had promised. And we're going to look specifically at that today. We saw last week with the picture of Abraham offering Isaac that God said, The promise that I made of the seed and the great Abrahamic covenant, and that through whom you, the, this heir was going to come, and all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed, and you were going to have a seed. In the Gospel in, Grace, in Galatians, we read that God preached the Gospel to Abraham and that that seed singular was the Christ or the Messiah or the anointed one. So, what we're going to look at today in Genesis, what we looked at last week with Abraham and Isaac, that God provided a substitute. A ram caught in a thicket, put there by God as a substitute for Isaac was a picture of Jesus being our Substitute. He is the Lamb that came to take our place. So today, I want you to turn to Exodus 12, and we're going to look at the second point of this idea of the Christmas Lamb. That not only was he that substitutionary provision by God, he's also the Passover. That the sacrifice, God's Passover. So here's the context when you get to Exodus 12. If you haven't seen the movie The Ten Commandments, you need to go watch it. very good movie. All right, the old one. Okay, here's the context. The Jews have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, when you get to Exodus chapter 12. God has finally, in his time, raised up a deliverer for Him, for them. His name is Moses. And you know the story. Moses could have been Pharaoh of Egypt. He chose to suffer with the Hebrews for a season. God raised him up to deliver the Hebrews, the Israelites, from bondage in Egypt. And so God has a message for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the most powerful man on planet Earth, who owned them. Free labor, they owned them for 400 years, a long time. So God goes, tells Moses, you just go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And I love the honesty in Scripture, and you read the story, and God tells Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. What, if, what did Moses say? Oh, oh. Uh, uh. I'm a stutterer, Lord. You don't. You don't want me to do that. You won't send somebody like Rhett Butler, or you'll send you know send somebody that can talk. Don't send me. God said, "You just go tell Pharaoh, let my people go." And that great verse from Exodus 3:15, when God in the burning bush is talking to Moses, and explaining to him what His plan, and mo- explaining to Moses what His plan is, and He says, "You tell Pharaoh, and you tell my people, Pharaoh's going to let you go." And remember, Moses said, Well, who do I tell him you are? In that great verse, what does, he, what does God say? You tell him, I am. That's the message of deity that our God is. He has the only self-existent entity in the universe it's God. Eternal, self-existent. Only non-created entity is God. He is the great I am. That's why Jesus said in John 8:58 to the Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am. I am the God of Moses. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I'm the one who walked in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. I am God. That's the message of Christmas, that God chose to come in our place. He loved us. So here we are contextually. Egypt, the Jews are in Egypt, Israelites. They've been slaves for 400 years. Moses, the deliverer, sent by God to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh's answer is no. God sends 10 plagues on Egypt in increasing intensity to get Pharaoh's attention. The 10th and final plague is the death of the firstborn in Egypt. And God makes a provision for salvation to escape death. Death would, quote, pass over End quote. The homes that had applied the blood to the doors and the lintels of their homes, death would pass over those homes that had placed the blood of the lamb per God's specific instructions. You apply that blood, and death will pass over you again. As we head to Christmas, celebrating the Christmas lamb, God is picturing for us what he was doing. We saw it pictured last week in the substitutionary provision. We're seeing it pictured today in the sacrificial Passover, that death will pass over you if you apply the blood of the lamb to your heart, to your door, per God's specific instructions. So let's look at Exodus 12 and walk through this, verse 3. Verse 3, speak to the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of the month, every man shall take for himself. This is the procedure of Passover, God's giving to Moses. On the tenth of of this month, every man will take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be, quote, without blemish, A male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. The Passover lamb. Here's the fact: Number one was to be an unblemished male. It was to be a lamb. It was to be a male. And it was to be in his prime or first year. Again, all of this is a picture of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, look at verse five again. It says he is to be a lamb without blemish. The word in Hebrew simply means without any defects. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes these words. With the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. John 19, the Bible says this. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. John 19 continuing says, for these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. Look back at Exodus chapter 12 and look down at verse 46. In one house it shall be eaten, you shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. Jesus of Nazareth, crucified, was the Passover lamb. Paul would write to the church at Corinth, Christ is our Passover. What we celebrate at what we call Easter, we're celebrating Passover. The fact death passes over our lives when the blood is applied according to God's specific instructions. Look at verse 6 of chapter 12. Verse 6. You take this lamb. You keep it until the 14th day of the same month. You set it aside on the 10th, and you watch it to the 14th. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. You notice again verse 3. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying on the 10th of the month, you take your lamb. On the 14th of the month, you, kill, you watch it for four days. And on the 14th day of that month, you kill the lamb at twilight. You examine the lamb for purity, then you kill the pure lamb. The literal picture here is Jesus Christ, a triumphal entry. He rides into Jerusalem on the 10th day of the month. On the 14th day of the month at twilight, what did they do? They killed the pure lamb of God. Examine him, watched him four days, that passion week. And then they killed him. They crucified him at twilight. Kill it at twilight. For the Hebrews, twilight was between what we would call three o'clock and five o'clock. If you read scriptures closely in the Gospels, Jesus was crucified and died at twilight. What you're seeing is the ha- hand of our sovereign God. He said, This is what I'm going to do, Moses. This is what I'm going to do, Pharaoh. This is what I'm going to do, Abraham. This is what I'm going to do, Satan. And as he threw out the, prophe- the prophecies in the Old Testament, you see different things. We will ultimately, we'll get around and we'll look at some things like Bethlehem, that little town. Why that one? Well, it was prophesied in Micah 3.5. Uh, he, he, he had a grave with the rich. He had borrowed a tomb from a rich man. He was, he was uh, numbered with the thieves, thief on the, each side of him on the cross. All of those things being prophesied. No broken bones. We just saw that. Prophesied. For God continually saying, this man is the only one in history who fits the fulfillment of the Messiah. Not only did he fulfill all those prophecies, he was perfect. He was sinless. He was without defect, the Hebrew word. He was pure. So you kill it at twilight. Literally, as Jews, this was when Jesus was sacrificed, when he died on the cross. It was the week of Passover. And literally at that time of day as the Jews were coming to the temple and they were sacrificing, as they were making their lamb, their sacrifice at their temple, the Passover lamb was spilling his blood and dying on the cross for the sins of humanity. God's Passover sacrifice. Look at verse 7, the applied blood. Take some of the blood, put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses... Where they eat it, this lamb. It's on the doorposts and the houses. You put the blood, as God specifically said. Verse 13, verse 12, excuse me. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods, plural of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Death will only pass over the houses where the blood is applied according to my instruction. Verse 13, now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Egypt in scripture, particularly contextually for the Hebrews, always represented bondage. It also represents that as you run it through Scripture. They were in bondage, just like you and I are in bondage to sin. God provides them with an atoning sacrifice so that death can pass over them and they can be set free from bondage in Egypt. When they left Egypt, where were they headed? To the promised land. When you're born again, you're set free from bondage to sin. And then you're on a journey for the rest of your life on planet earth, ultimately to when you die, you go where? To the promised land. Egypt was bondage, you're set free from that. And yet, as human beings, we constantly struggle with I want to go back and live under bondage. I like it better there. The children of Israel set free from bondage in Egypt. They get to Mount Sinai, and Moses is literally getting the, the law from God on how to live. And how to understand what it means to be a sinner and that you need God literally while he's on the mountain getting the law from God. What are they doing at the foot of Mount Sinai? They are building a golden calf, an idol to lead them where? Back to Egypt. Back to bondage. It's a constant struggle in our lives as believers. We're set free from the bondage of sin, positionally declared righteous in God, justification, born again. You're his child, and yet for the rest of our lives, we constantly struggle with sin. That, that, that thing that owned us, that bondage, we all do. In some way, shape, or fashion, we struggle with it. It's just so attractive. And in their case, they were talking about going back to being owned by Pharaoh and a hard life. And yet they were looking at that and saying, that's better than wandering around out here in the wilderness with Moses. How about that bondage? God says, here's how I'm going to set you free. You trust me. Back to verse 7. Verse 13, excuse me. Verse 13. You trust me. You obey me. You apply the blood. And you'll escape death. When you apply the blood... The blood covering, and that's what atonement is. 1 Peter 1 says, By the sprinkling of the blood of Christ, we're saved. Hebrews 9 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You look in the Garden of Eden at Adam and Eve's original sin. When they tried to cover it in their own human efforts, God said, No, it required the skin of an animal, which required blood. Covering, Hebrew, means atonement. Here's what God was picturing for us. I will provide covering for you through the blood of the Lamb. You take the blood of the Lamb by trusting me. Faith in the sacrifice of the Christmas Lamb at the cross when he died, when he rose again, when he spilled his blood for you, You trust him, what he did, his work. You apply his work to your life by repentance and faith. And when I look at your sin, I will see his blood covering your sin. And it will be atoned for. You will redeemed. It's exactly the picture here in Exodus. That's what Christmas was about. All right? Turn to Isaiah chapter 53. Let's look at another picture. Isaiah 53. He's a sacrifice. We saw last week he was a substitute. In Isaiah 53, it's a great, very famous passage, familiar passage. You're going to see that he's a suffering servant, prophesied by God, here, a lot of places, but specifically here, very graphically, the suffering servant. The number one claim Jesus made about himself when he was on planet Earth He said, I'm meek and lowly in heart. I'm humble. And here's what he said. Quote, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He said, I came to serve. We studied Mark, Mark 10, 45. That's the theme of that book, that gospel. I came to serve and to die. I am the suffering servant. That's pictured for us prophetically in Isaiah 53 as you're walking through the idea of the Christmas lamb, that substitute, that sacrifice, and now let's look at him as the suffering servant. We saw it at Abraham. We saw it at the Passover. Faith was involved in both situations. Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, so he took his son, given to him by God as the heir. He took him up to offer him because God said, kill him. He was going to obey God by faith. The children of Israel, by faith, had to trust God and obey God and apply the blood. By trusting God's provision, they could escape death. The suffering servant, Isaiah 53. We're going to see the lamb here, pictured. Sinless, rejected, as the sin sacrifice and as the suffering substitute. This was written... What we're about to look at in Isaiah 53 was written about 700 years before Jesus Christ came to planet Earth. About 700 years. So you get to Isaiah 53. The context here, starting in chapter 52, is that you've got five stanzas written. And they're all about the coming servant of God and his life and his work, the coming Messiah, what it would be like. Isaiah 52. Let's start there. 52.13. 52.13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high, just as many were astonished at you. So his visage, or his look, was marred more than any man, his form more than the sons of men. So uh, these two verses are setting up the picture in these stanzas. This is the focal point of the book of Isaiah, one of the most important passages in, in all Scripture. The picture of the Messiah who is to come, as the sin-bearing servant of man. Not as an earthly king, not as a military conqueror, which is what the Jews wanted, but as a suffering sacrifice. It's the clearest description in all of Scripture of the purpose for the coming of the Messiah. Verse 13. he says, Behold my servant. In Hebrew, that means behold, please. Here's what it means. Please Pay attention. What I'm about to tell you is incredibly important. Behold, the servant will be exalted. Ultimately, he will be humiliated and he will be the redeemer. All of this foreshadowing Jesus as the lamb. Verse 13 again. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted. Philippians chapter 2. The apostle Paul wrote these words. God has highly exalted Christ and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. He will ultimately and finally and gloriously be exalted by all men, glorified by all men, exalted. He ascended to the right hand of the throne of God. We're going to see that as we walk through all the way to Revelation. This lamb. Yes, he came as a suffering lamb. One day he'll come back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is God incarnate on planet earth. He came. He died. And he rose again. And he ascended. To the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord. God of all. Verse 14 of Isaiah 52. Many were astonished. Visage was marred. His form more than the sons of men. He was humiliated. Humiliated. Many were astonished. And the idea here with the visage. Being astonished. Is that they literally turned away from him. He looked so bad. Now again. History. The gospels. You go read. When they got ready to. Punish Jesus of Nazareth. And crucify him. They beat him unmercifully. They scourged him, which if you read clearly what scourging was under the Romans, they whipped you to the point where your vital organs were exposed, bleeding profusely, and they beat him in the face to the point where he was unrecognizable. People were astonished and turned away from him. There was nothing attractive physically about him at all. And not only that, the emotional trauma that he went through. Read the story of him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prays that incredible prayer. He says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup of redemption pass from me, but not my will, yours be done. What I should appreciate as a believer, and you should appreciate as a believer, and even if you don't trust Christ as a human being, here's what Jesus was saying. As he sweat blood, by the way, and as all his friends were over here asleep, he said, I love you so much, I'll go through this for you. I you. Love you. That's the message of Christmas. I'll be that lamb. I, God, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Because he alone, as we will see, ultimately is worthy. He alone is worthy. So he was humiliated. Verse 15. Of Isaiah 52, so shall he sprinkle many nations, not just the Jews. Kings will shut their mouths at him. For what they have been told, then th- them they shall see. What they had not been told, them they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. The import of this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, seemingly a Nazarene. Not significant in that culture, just a carpenter. But history says the most significant human being, even if you don't believe he's God, that ever walked planet Earth, the most controversial. Historian Kenneth Scott Laudrette says this about him, quote, As the centuries pass, the evidence is accumulating that measured by his effect on history, Jesus is the most influential life ever lived on this planet, end quote. G.K. Chesterton, great novelist, critic, English, said this, quote, There was a man who dwelt in the East centuries ago, and now I cannot look at a sheep or sparrow, a lily or a cornfield, a raven or a sunset, a vineyard or a mountain without thinking of him. If If this be not to be divine, what is it? End quote. What we celebrate at Christmas is Emmanuel, God with us, who came to be our sacrifice, our substitute, our suffering servant. Now, look at Isaiah 53, verse 1. We just read the summary of that. Now, 53, when you get into chapter 53, it's going to give you the details of this suffering servant. Verse 1, he was despised by mankind despised by mankind who's believed our report verse 1 to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed he will grow up before him as a tender plant as a root out of dry ground he has no form or attractiveness when we see him there is no beauty that we should desire him he's despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as we and we hid as it were our faces from him he was despised and we did not esteem or honor him as the suffering servant. So it starts out there in verse 1 saying, who has believed our report? And the idea here God is saying is, I'm going to do something so incredible, so hard to believe, that I'm going to do through this one servant. Who has believed it? But they would not, I'm going to do this through one man, that they wouldn't expect it to be done through. He'll be rejected by his own people. Think about the life of Jesus of Nazareth. John 1 11 says, He came into His own, and His own did what? Received Him not. I think one of my favorite passages to read about the life of Jesus Christ is in John chapter 7. He's with His siblings. I joke about this many times, but could you imagine growing up in a home where your older brother was Jesus? That'd be tough, wouldn't it? So He's with His siblings, His own brothers and sisters. You say to him, Hey, if you're the Messiah, they were celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. If you're the Messiah, won't you go up to the feast and announce it? Let everybody know. It'd be hard to believe your brother was the Messiah, right? Especially when Jesus kept trying to my kingdom is not of this earth. I'm not a military conqueror. That's not what it's about. It's a heavenly kingdom. It's, all, it's spiritual, not physical. They said, why don't you just go on up there and prove you're the Messiah? If you are. And yet, he, he just lives his life. God's going to do something incredible to believe. Verse: He was rejected. He grew up as a poor carpenter. Not an earthly man of any significance. Yet history says the most significant man that ever lived. Mark chapter 6, the Bible says this, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Isaiah 53, 3 again, look. He's rejected. He's despised by men. He's a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. He was not valued in any way. He came to suffer and to die. Now look at verse 4. He died for us. Surely, the one who was rejected, the one who was not valued, the one who we didn't care anything about, one we literally looked away from, he was not desirous in any way, despised by mankind, he turns around and says, I'll die for you. Verse 4. Surely he's borne our griefs, carried our sorrows we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. By his stripes we're healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What you're reading in verses 4, 5, and 6, and you don't know if you write in your Bible or not. If not, write in the Bible the person next to you. What What you're seeing in verses 4, 5, and 6 is the gospel. There it is. It's the gospel. 1 Peter chapter 2 says this. He bore our sins on his own body upon the tree. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were yet sinners in rebellion against God, Christ died for us. I want you to notice, look at, drop down to verse 10 for a moment. Verse 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him, put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see see his seed. He shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify or declare righteous many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Just for a few moments as we wrap this up, I want you to see specifically the passion, we call it Passion Week, the suffering of the one who came at Christmas that we celebrate, that lamb that came to be our Passover lamb, to be our sacrifice for sin so that we could be saved, so that we could have death pass over us. First thing I want you to notice in verse 4 is his emotional suffering. He's borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. Everything we ever heard over as human beings that was a result of our own sin, Jesus took the pain of that to Calvary. God laid on him, we just saw, the iniquity of us all. That emotional when you stop and meditate on scripture and you look at what happened is Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's going to say it is finished and one of the things he says while he's hanging there is my God, my God you know the rest of it, what was it? why have you forsaken me? he'd never felt that before from eternity past all Jesus had ever known was intimacy with God the Father as God the Son Suddenly he's becoming the sin debt for me, you, everyone else. All my guilt, he bore the grief for that, the sorrow it brings. He bore it. God laid the iniquity of all of us on him. He became the sin debt so I could be set free. And in that moment he cries out to God and says, why have you forsaken me? which, by the way, was prophesied in Psalm 22. I've mentioned this before, but it's so important. Read the Gospels closely. Not one other time does Jesus refer to his father as God. What does he always refer to him as? Father. Father. But at that moment, he was sin, paying my debt, and the father had to turn away. I hope that you appreciate Christmas a little more when you understand that. The emotional trauma, the physical trauma, verse five. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we're healed. You might want to write scourging next to that. You might want to write beating next to that. Wounded. They had stuck a spear in his side. Crown of thorns, Greek here, the Greek when you read it, the translation is that he was pierced and crushed unto death, physically suffered. Spiritually, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. we'll never really understand maybe when we get to eternity I guess we will what this moment must have been like for Jesus when he had to die for sin for all sin think about the egregious stuff that human beings like Adolf Hitler Nero and others have done he said "I'll, I'll I'll take your place I'll pay that price. All you got to do is apply the blood by faith. Apply the blood. It's the best picture in the world is the thief on the cross next to him who deserved to be there for his crimes. And he turned to Jesus and said, what? The other th- they were both mocking him, by the way. Read all the Gospels. Both thieves were mocking Jesus and the, you know, the Messiah said, get down and save yourself and us. Both of them were doing it. And then one of them had a revelation, wait a minute, I deserve to be here, we deserve to be here, but Jesus doesn't. And he turned to him and said, what? Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Simply exercise faith. He didn't get baptized, he didn't give any money, he didn't do any good works, he simply exercised faith. And what did Jesus say to him? Who, by the way, was a could hardly breathe at the point of death, having been beaten, basically, to death, and now trying to survive crucifixion and live and dying. What does he say to the guy? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Today. That's grace. That's Christmas. The greatest gift any human being has ever been given is that God said, I'll take your place. Merry Christmas, I'll take your place. Physical, and maybe maybe the most significant is verse 7. The silence, the loneliness. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearers is silent. A lamb, oppressed, afflicted, didn't say anything, First Peter 2 says, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. He took our place. Look at verse 4 again. He's borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And then verse 5, the end of it, by his stripes... We are healed. And there are some people, so unfortunately, they take this verse and say, by his stripes we are healed, and say, see right here it says guarantees because Jesus was beaten, everybody will be physically healed when they ask for it. That is so trivial compared with what this is talking about. What it's saying is, because he was willing to come and be beaten to death, you can be healed spiritually. physically, there, but he can heal, but that's not what this is talking about. It's the atonement. The atonement. you recovered. Propitiation. He was the satisfaction for your sins. First Peter says this again. He hung on the tree that we being dead to sins should live under righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Righteousness, not physical healing. Righteousness being declared right with God. Romans 8 says this. Look at verse 10, excuse me, in Isaiah, and then we'll do Romans 8. Verse 10 in Isaiah. It pleased the Lord to bruise him, put him to grief, when you make his soul an offering for sin. All the good things. Here's what God is saying. In Romans 8, Paul wrote these words. He who spared not his own son, God, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I want to end with this point because it's so important. Right there in Isaiah, it says, it pleased God to bruise him. I want you to think for a moment about, again, talking about meditating on scripture, I want you to think for a moment just about that saying. It pleased God the Father to have His Son beaten to death. It pleased God the Father to bruise Him, to have Him scourged. You ever? Th- I think about crazy things sometimes. I know that doesn't surprise you. Why did they choose crucifixion? God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why did they choose crucifixion? Why not lethal injection? Why not firing squad? Why not hanging? Just get it over with. Because I believe it shows, it's my opinion, so take this for what it's worth. I believe it shows crucifixion. And I'm it, but obviously going to lay it all out in prophecy. But I believe it's for this reason. So no one could ever doubt how much God loves you and is willing to suffer for your sin. It's the most horrific way man has ever devised to kill another man. It usually took three days. You're trying to breathe, you couldn't. Finally, your heart just burst. Please God to do that to His Son so that we could be healed spiritually. Here's the message of Christmas God loved you so much, He was willing to elevate you above the love He had for His Son and let His Son die in your place. If that doesn't make you celebrate Christmas, you, you working with wet wood if someone was there that should light your fire to be so thrilled Christmas the birth of God because he loved me would you bow your heads please Father we are grateful that you love us we talk about it we say it we sing about it joy to the world how significant that really is, and we'll see next week as we look at that. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. They didn't receive their king. He came anyway. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for coming. The Christ child, Emmanuel, God with us, incarnate deity, that we might know freedom. Freedom. We might might be set free. We might know forgiveness. We might know you. We might understand love. This is love that God died for us. Thank you, Father. So I pray you motivate us and encourage us as Christians to share the love of the Christ child with people. Love Christmas, celebrate it. What a great time of year. And remembering behind that manger is a cross because you loved us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we sing and